our bodies and the body of Christ are to be living sacrifice, revealing the personal blessing and power of the cross. At the heart of this passage is the fact that our bodies and the body of Christ are to be a living sacrifice, revealing the personal blessing and power of the cross. That sacrifice is personal and it's powerful. The work of the cross is personal and powerful. And God desires us to live with that perspective. Paul calls us in this passage to a place where we are not simply knowing the power of God, but that we are experiencing the power of God. And what's unique about this passage is that it sits in context in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, the first part, it's talking about lawsuits. It's talking about coming and resolving that, that the conflict that exists. And it talks about individuals who it says in verses 9 through 11, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were once this, but through the work of the cross, you are no longer this. And so it brings us to verse 12 where he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now Christ wants us to walk out His salvation today. The living out of His salvation begins today when we submit ourselves to Christ. (coughs) The idea that salvation is about eternal life only is too narrow. It implies that we start living for Christ when we die. But salvation is that we experience the power and the work of the cross today, not tomorrow. And God is desiring for us not just the simplicity of coming to Him so that we might have eternal life, but that we might walk in the fullness of His Spirit now. See, eternal life is the end reward of our salvation. The truth is is that the work of the cross enables us to experience the blessing of Christ's fullness now. I think that gets lost sometimes. It gets lost that what God's desiring for us is to experience the blessing of the cross today, to experience His power today. I was listening to a man speak, and he was sharing about how 
within his own body, how he'd gone through these, these different ailments and strokes, and his body was deteriorating. And he, he said he, he remembered speaking to his wife, and he looked at her, and he said, I, he goes, I don't know how you can love me in this body. And she began to speak, and she said, I, I, I love you. And as he began to think through this, one of the things he began sharing was, listen, it's the power of God at work within me, even when my body is broken, that is displaying the truth of who God is and the power of who God is. And we need to be reminded that our bodies bodies are being used for God's purpose, even in their brokenness. And that one day they will be restored, but we're not to live as if today sucks and tomorrow is great. We're to live as if today is great and tomorrow is even greater. Because it is Christ who is in us. And so what we see in this passage are actually three blessings of the work of the cross which reveal the power of the cross through sacrificial living. Three blessings of the work of the cross which reveal the power of the cross through sacrificial living. And so the first there is freedom in Christ. The first blessing of the work of the cross is freedom in Christ. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, some look at this and go, ah, what he's saying is we can do whatever we want. I just need to decide whether it's going to be beneficial or not. Well, actually, what he's saying is, is rather than you having the freedom to do what you want, what he's saying is you have the freedom no longer to sin. He's saying that there are things that are allowable or that you have the freedom to walk in, but they're not helpful and beneficial. And there are things that you're allowed to walk in, but some of those things are going to dominate you. And he's saying, no longer are you dominated by the flesh, but you have victory in Christ. See, freedom in Christ is not just about liberty the way that we think about it within a cultural context that I can do whatever I want, but yet freedom in Christ is that I might do what pleases God and no longer am I slave to my flesh, but I'm able to be a servant of righteousness through Christ. Roy Lauren his commentary, 1 Corinthians, where life matures, puts it this way. He says, what a man wants... And what a man gets are, of course, very different. There are human desires that can only be gratified in the spiritual realm and can only be satisfied by the presence of God. The wrong of our modern life is that we seek the gratification of our desires in sensuality rather than spirituality. And what the world seeks is sensuality, while many Christians seek it in carnality. We haven't changed our mindset. We haven't allowed God to really sift us and see that we are no longer slaves to sin, 
but through Christ we can be slaves to righteousness. So what are two benefits of the freedom of Christ? Well, in verse 12 when it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, the Greek word for profitable there is sympharo. And sympharo means bearing together. It's a concept that's unique to Christianity. And in no other religion is a person instructed to withhold from a certain action due to the possibility of causing another person to sin. See, prior to the resurrection, we were driven by a nature that was solely sinful. But through the resurrection and Christ living in us, our motivations can be changed. See, Christ's resurrection gives us the freedom to become a new creation in Christ and allow God to work in our heart and we can walk by sacrificing our own desires. We can choose to walk with Him. The truth is is that freedom in Christ actually will lead to right relationship with others. It'll lead to right relationship with others. When we lay down our selfish desires, it will lead to right relationship with others. The second thing there, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not, I will not be dominated by anything, or I will not be mastered by anything. That word mastered is excusiazo, and it literally means authority. So when we are walking in freedom, when we're walking in the freedom of Christ, where we are no longer a slave to sin, but we are actually free not to sin, we actually can be in right relationship with others and with God. You see, verse 13 and 14 actually gives us understanding here. It says in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, God's given natural appetites that are essential for the survival of the body. Food is one of those appetites. The difference is is that food is a natural appetite while sex is a natural desire. And in that process, sin attempts to make our natural desires into proper or improper desires. It tries to contort and to distort our desires. And for many of us, at times, we can become slave to those, those natural desires. And those natural desires can be jobs or drinking can be sex even, as he points out here. But the difference is that our body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. You see, the stomach was made for food. And there was an appetite that was given to sustain this body, but in the end, that will be destroyed. It will not be needed. But God through the power of the resurrection, will restore the body 
and glorify the body in unity with Him. God desires our bodies to be used for His purpose. Our bodies have been bought with a price. And what He's promising here is that we actually have the freedom not to sin. Those desires which we feel powerless to have to be put at the foot of the cross. No longer am I a slave to those desires. No longer do those slaves master me because I've been bought with a price and I am Christ. And the question is, is do I want to give in to those desires or do I want to give myself to Christ? It's at the heart of Luke 9.23 when we're instructed that those who are following Christ are to deny self, to take up their cross daily, and to follow Him. Those things which seem so natural but have become distorted. One of the reasons that Jesus instructs us to deny self is because natural desires can be confused for godly desires. You don't ever have to really teach somebody how to lust, do you? No. And we hear terms all the time, right? Well, it's just, I'm just human. That's just the way it is. remember working with a man who was entrapped in this, the sin of homosexuality. And he said, listen, I've struggled with this all my life. I said, let's look at what Scripture says. Scripture says you're right. Sin has a way of distorting what is natural. And our natural desires get distorted And so they can feel natural, but what God's saying is is that we need to set aside those things that seem so natural to us so that he might work in us and fulfill those needs within us. That he might allow us to experience his power, the powerful victory of the cross. Remember sharing with this man, listen, Very seldom of us choose our depravity. But all of us choose how to respond to our depravity. So how sin looks and works in our life, very seldom do those desires come upon us that we choose. But all of us choose how we respond to sin. Are we going to submit it to Christ? So the essential truth here is this, our bodies are created for God, not my own desires. Our bodies are created for God, not my own desires. And we need to ask ourselves when we're with others or when we're by ourselves, is this decision or activity being spiritually beneficial to others and is it being spiritually beneficial to me? 
Will it cause me to be mastered by something other than the Lord? We need to take time and think about those things. It's so easy to go recklessly into something and say, I'll deal with this later. And yet what Paul is saying here is, listen, yeah, there are things you have freedom to do, but you also have the freedom not to sin. And when you're walking in freedom with Christ, when you're seeking a freedom that is not to sin, guess what happens? You'll be in right relationship with others and you'll be in right relationship with God. The second blessing of the work of the cross is unity with Christ. Unity with Christ. In verse 15 it says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 14, he says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. See, God desires us to live in unity with him under his lordship. It's not just about receiving eternal life, but it is about living with him now in the resurrection power of Jesus. We've been raised up with him. I know in my own life, I can feel at times powerless to sin that wants to bombard, that wants to bury me deep as if I'm a dead person. And there are times that that sin gives forth. It takes on death. shared with some of you that my children didn't learn bad words from people at school or TV. They learned them from me. They've heard me say those things at different times. Dead rat in our house that you nearly step on, guess what comes out, right? And it's wonderful because the Holy Spirit doesn't even have to convict you of it. Your own children will, <laughs> right? Hey, guess what dad said? Everybody knows. Right here, yes, right? The truth is, though, is there are times that in our sin, we can feel as if we're buried, not alive. We treat our sin as if we're poured over by dirt and that we're already dead and there's no way to dig out. And we treat our sin as if I'm just going to be powerless to this and I'm going to always fail in this area and I don't know what to do. Part of it is is that we're no longer seeing ourselves as already having been resurrected with Christ for those who have repented and believed on him. We're no longer buried by the dirt. We get sprinkled on occasion, but we're not buried. We're not dead. We're alive through the power of the resurrection. And we're no longer slaves to that sin 
And we're not slaves to that sin because we have been unified with Christ. It is his power at work within us. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What do we seek? We seek the things that are above. We seek Christ. Listen, if our head is down all week and we are infiltrating it with all kinds of different things, if sin in my life is materialism and all I'm thinking about is what I, I want more and I can never find contentment, if sin in my life is mastered by lust and all I'm wanting and feeding myself with is lustful thoughts and, and lustful images, yes, we're going to feel broken. Yes, we're going to feel powerless because we're not being reminded that we are unified with Christ. Christ living in us and working in us and it is His power at work within us. Romans 6.19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What is our bodily sacrifice? It is stopping the presenting it as members to lawlessness and starting to present it as members of righteousness. I know in my own life that one of those things could be, gosh, well, that sounds a whole lot easier said than done. I remember a man coming into my life and simply saying, what is it that you dwell upon all day? Well, that's new. What is it that you dwell upon all day? Because that which you dwell upon is that which you will become. Whew. If I'm dwelling upon lust, guess what? I'm going to be lusting. If I'm dwelling upon righteousness, guess what? I'm going to be seeking his righteousness. S. Lewis Johnson says this. He insists that it is an act which by reason of its very nature engages and expresses the whole personality in such a way as to constitute a unique mode of self-disclosure and self-commitment. That's what the sexual act is. That's what biblical intercourse is. Two people united in a sexual union, but not simply a sexual union, in a spiritual union as well. And out of that union or in that union, an expression of what I am and what my partner is and what my partner is to me and I am to her as well as a commitment of one person to another and the other person to that person. That is why the Bible the act of sexual intercourse is an illustration of the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. In fact, the first reference to it, as you know, in Genesis, when Adam knew Eve, his wife, knew Eve together, that now the reason that he's, she is known is used because of the intimacy of that union. A commitment, and not only in the commitment and also a revelation of one another, the commitment as well as the mutual knowledge that flows out of it in most intimate way. That we can only know a person in an intimate way through the sexual union, through a marriage of a husband and a wife, 
There is a coming together and a knowledge of one another that is so deeply intimate that it actually is an illustration of Christ and the church and that that's what God wants from us, to know him in such an intimate way that we are bonded and connected, that there is full joy and full disclosure in him. God desires that from us. And when we walk in the power of the cross and we lay down our life, when we set aside our desires for his, we are being unified with him. See, as we make the Lord the Lord of our life, Scripture tells us here that we are one spirit with him. We receive his wisdom, his joy, and his peace. And as we make him Lord, marked by the fleeing of immorality, we're saved from the confusion, despondency, and emptiness of life. God didn't say, dabble in this a little bit. There are really only three specific areas that God tells us to flee from. One, though, immediately is flee from immorality. Another is flee from idolatry, both of which are combined here. And he's saying, flee from it. Don't act brave and courageous and stand there. What he's saying is, run. Get away from it. Go as far away from it as you can. Why? Because God knows the powerful pull of the desires within us. And we are to flee it. We are to run from it. We're not to entertain it. I remember after my parents divorced, being the only man in the house. I was a man 13 years old. I wasn't a man. But my, my dad had always, you know, he was the guy that when things happened at nighttime in the house, you heard strange noises, he was the one that got up and went to the door. Well, at 13, I can remember the very first time banging on the back door occurred in the middle of the night. And I remember lying in bed at 13 thinking, do I let my mom get up and get this? Or do I go do it? And I remember my mom getting to the door before I did. And I remember... She got there. It was a, a friend. I don't remember what the reason was. They were being stupid and out and about in the middle of the night, and they came by and banging on the door. But it was enough for me to be scared, right? Those, those little intrusions in the middle of the night. And I remember thinking, never again will I let my mom get to that door before I get to that door. I will get there first no matter what fear I have. And I think sometimes in our culture and the way we're, we're raised actually causes us to deal with sin in the same way. If I just get close enough to it, I just got to stand up and I got to show my teeth and I got to show my brawn and I got to make this happen. And so often God is saying, do not do that with sin, run from it. Do not puff up towards sin, get the heck out. 
because we're unified with Christ and because Christ is maintaining that unity with him and because Christ is at work within us and we are one with him, we can find joy not in our self-sufficiency but in his sufficiency. It's not how tough I am to overcome the sin. It is the fact that Jesus has already overcome it. And it is the fact that he's already done that work. There's nothing to puff up towards. It's already been defeated. I just got to go to the guy who defeated it. That's what he's wanting from us. He's wanting us to run to him, not just to flee it and run away. Not to just get away and say, well, what do I do now? I'm about as far as away I can be. I'm standing in the middle of a desert. What temptation's out here? not what he's saying. He's saying, get away from it and run to me. Get out of that and run to me. The essential truth there that is our bodies are joined to Christ through the receiving of his grace. We're not our own. We're not our own. Our bodies are joined to Christ through the receiving of his grace. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I fleeing from sexual sin or all other kinds of sin and pursuing oneness with Christ in my decisions and activities? Are my choices united with Christ or are they still seeking after my own self? Are they seeking what's most comfortable to me? Finally, the last blessing that we see here where the power of God is exposed is through the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ. It says this in verses 19 through 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, verse 19 reminds us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this for a minute. The temple where God used to reside, that which was holy and sacred, God is saying, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. How come? Well, in John 2, 19 and 21, Jesus responds to a question by the Jews saying this, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He goes on to say that he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, through the resurrection, the temple became Christ. And when we respond to his grace and accept him, he dwells within us. Our bodies become a temple for the Holy Spirit. See, prior to Christ, the temple was the place where they went to be in the presence of God and to present to him their sacrifices. Then, too, it was a place in which God received glory through his people's worship. Ultimately, to be in the presence of Christ is to be in the presence of God. He is the one to which we surrender and sacrifice our will for his will. And like the temples of the past, the purpose of our body as a temple is to make it holy. God's not looking to indwell temples given to other idols and sin. I think, unfortunately, at times, as Christians, we've seen a pattern historically throughout historic Christianity where we were looking to make buildings and churches more sacred than we were ourselves. 
when we were overseas, we walked into numerous churches, and I finally looked at Elisa and I said, I can't do another church. They're kind of the same. Like, they're beautiful. They're pretty. But they were these glorious structures, and one that we walked into had an entire ceiling of gold. And it just reminded me, a couple of our kids and Elisa walked into one portion of it, and they said, oh, it's just got this weird, uneasy feeling. It's odd. It's, it doesn't feel like life. I think sometimes we try to do the same things. We try to make the place look sacred, forgetting that what God wants is our lives to be pure and holy before him. Gary Cake, who was a pastor in this community for a while, said this. He said, when you consider that the temple of the Lord is no longer a building, but rather men and women, it's not hard to imagine that his heart is broken again at the tiny temple he has amongst his first chosen people. And I would add to this by saying that God's heart probably breaks even further due to the number of individual temples that stand in ruin due to perpetual disobedience and apathy. And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we walking in obedience or are we walking in apathy? See, God's looking to use our lives to bring people into his presence. He's invited us. See, sacrifice is not some sadist kind of reaction by God to make our lives miserable, but rather sacrifice is an invitation into experiencing the blessing of the cross and the power of his victory. Sacrifice is actually an invitation. It's not a curse. We're flying on this plane, and you know me as I've shared before. I don't always like just naturally getting in conversations with people, especially as the Lord's prompting, you know, those little internal wars. And this lady came, and she sat down next to me, and it was just myself and her, and the kids were on the other side, and Elisa and one of the kids was up front, this plane, and I thought, oh, great, I'm sitting next to this person, I don't know, it's a long flight going to this area I don't know, and, and when she sat down, she didn't make any kind of eye contact with me at all, and I, I tried for a moment, and I was like, that's okay, it's cool, I want to sleep too, so Lord, you probably have another time for this, because I'd rather not do this right now, right? So it was going through my own heart and mind. And so for the first hour, I kind of sat with my arms really close to myself and sitting there just like this, and she was sitting next to me, and she didn't say much of anything. About 30 minutes left in the flight, as I looked out the window, I thought, you know, the Lord is just continues to prompt me to speak to this person. And I will be honest with you guys, I, in my own mind, was like, there has to be other things that you want me to do today, Lord, and it's not this. Like... There has to be it. I'm on vacation, and I don't want to do this today. And so I looked at her, and the only good thing that could come out of my mind was, hey, are you from Amsterdam? And she looked like I was crazy. So at first, I'm like, I, maybe she doesn't even speak the language. That's cool. That's even better. <laughs> so she turns, and she begins speaking to me for a minute, and we begin having this conversation, and she was very subdued. And as we talked, I, she slowly began sharing, and she could tell, I think, that I was trying to 
drive this conversation because she started to laugh, you know, when you can tell that somebody feels a little awkward trying to move forward in the conversation, and she started to laugh for a moment. And it turned out that she, what she was, was she was a government worker for Uganda, and she is overseeing the Rwandan refugee camps. And she was on her way to Italy because they had asked her to speak at a conference with six other national disaster refugee, basically, executives that were to teach. And she said, listen, I've never spoken at these things in my life. I have no idea what I'm really supposed to be doing. All I do is see needs and try to meet those needs. That's it. And so as we talked, I said, I have to ask you a question. Where do you see the church? She smiled and she looked at me and she said, I deal with death and destruction every day and the church is our only hope. She said, they can give people but nobody else can. And that is hope. And as we talked, we sat And I just listened to her share about this work that was gruesome and vile, but was awesome. And she said, I have to ask you a question. She said, I I want you to know that I, I lived in America for a year. And she said, I worked at a church, actually, of all things, for a year there. And she said, why is it? That in America, both in Canada and the U.S., you guys are so apathetic. And it was like a dagger to me. I looked at her and I shared with her. I said, I I don't know. Maybe it's because we don't experience places that need hope like you have. You live in a world where it needs hope every day. We're pretty busy just doing our own thing. And it proceeded where we talked and we exchanged contact information. And I just said, can I pray for you? And so we prayed for the next five minutes, just praying about what she would share, how it would go. And I was just reminded in that moment that what God desired was to be present in that moment to pray for this woman who... The joy just came over her when she knew that there was another believer that was with her that was just seeking to pray for her. See, God actually has invited us into a relationship where through our sacrifice, we get to be used by him and we actually get to be used as his presence. That's an awesome thing. The power and the presence of the living God working through us so that the world might experience and know him. See, when we are a temple of this Holy Spirit, God works and uses us. So whatever environment you're in as an employee or an employer or a homemaker or a student, our purpose is the same. It isn't money, it isn't wealth, it isn't fame, it isn't sex, it isn't possessions. It's to glorify God in our body by bringing people into the presence of Christ through our purity and obedience to the Lord. 
so. That essential truth number three. A Christian's body or Christian's bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christian's bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are joined to Christ as his temple. We are joined to Christ as his temple. And so we need to ask ourselves, will this division or activity reveal that God is the owner of my body and glorify him rather than myself? When I think about past immorality in my life, Was it about glorifying God or was it about glorifying myself? Did it communicate to others that God was the owner of my body? Or did it communicate that I was the owner of my own pleasure? So it is that God desires us to live as a bodily sacrifice. To live with the power of Christ, united in Christ, knowing that he has invited us into the fullness of relationship through sacrifice, not as some sadistic attempt to keep us away from the things that we desire, but rather to fulfill the very longings of our heart. I want to leave us this morning with the words of John Calvin, where he said simply this, with the same view he declared a little ago, that not only our souls, but our bodies are also temples of the Holy Spirit, that we may not think that we discharge our duty to him aright if we do not devote ourselves wholly and entirely to his service, that he may, by his word, regulate even the outward actions of our life. May the scripture be our guide, and may it be in his power that the blessing of the cross is experienced by us and the power of the cross is displayed through us. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you that we can come to you as bodily sacrifices. Thank you that you have given us your word and that no longer are we slaves to sin. No longer are we just owned by our sin, but God, that through you we have been bought with a price and we are owned by you and we are free not to sin. May it be our desire today to choose not to sin and walk in the power of your grace, knowing that it is only through your power that sin is defeated. Father, may it not be a result of greater effort but may it be a result of greater submission to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.